From the Hill Country of Texas, this is One Radio Network. people get in my room. That, that's what I want to know here. What are they doing here? At, uh, oh, good evening to you. It is the real world of money because it's Wednesday or it's Wednesday and it must be the real world of money. I'm not sure which one came first, but nonetheless, a very pleasant good evening to you, thrill seekers and uh, and money knowledgers people or something like that. My name is Patrick Timpone. And on the beautiful Jersey Shore is Mr. Andrew Goss. Andrew. Hello there. How are you, sir? Hey, I am uh, alive and active today. Taking nourishment, which yes. is which is always a good sign, right? Always a good sign. Better than the alternative. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Well, the, I, the, the top news on the slate here, I got a lot of ground to cover tonight, if I remember it all. And if I can run down and get my notes sometime, yeah, is that the CPI came out for April, and they said it was two tenths of one percent. And then what they said was, and this is always good when I when I say this, and if you take out energy and food, it's only one tenth of one percent. Right. If you don't drive anywhere and you uh, and don't you, eat, and you don't eat, yes. So that gives me great comfort. It should. It gives me it gives me great comfort knowing knowing that. Tell us so. Why the CPI? At one point, you said the CPI and other fictions or fairy tales. Fairy tales, fairy yeah. tales fairy is, tale. is a term you used. Yeah, I mean that's all that it is, plain and simple. If you look at the way that they compute the CPI, what they're essentially saying is we're we're driving by looking in the rearview mirror. So as we pass by something, we're seeing what it is and we're measuring it. If in fact they wanted to really report the uh, report the inflation rate then they would go back to giving us uh, M3, uh-huh. you know, the, the real money supply increase. Uh, but instead, what they do is they measure uh, price increases year over year, or in this case, quarter over quarter, and they report uh, based on what the prices were last quarter. Yeah. Well, that's what I would do. I would do that. But that's what they do. And so it is essentially looking back at uh, what the effect of inflating the money supply is, is the CPI. So it's not really inflation as such. It's just kind of a, it's kind of like if you take your blood pressure as an indication of something else. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because what they're reporting is the effect of increasing the money supply. And a great many things can affect, for example, right now, uh, farmers, ranchers, I should say, are herding their cattle to market in record numbers because it's cheaper than feeding them. Mm -hmm. As a result, beef prices have actually come down. Now, that would would reflect in the CPI as a fall in the price. And additionally, let's say that during this same period, pork had gone up. What the Federal, uh, excuse me, what the Bureau of Labor and Statistics does is it says, well, a certain number of people are going to switch from beef to pork since the price of beef went up, or from pork to beef since the price of beef went down. And so they'll modify the numbers so that it reflects that change. And if uh, coffee goes up too much, well, people will start drinking tea. So, you know, we take that out of the right. equation. And where well. would we be if we didn't have these fellows thinking on their feet like this? That's right. Really, to, to keep us well informed. Oh, here's my favorite one. <laughs> you know how computers, right, used to get a 286, uh, and now you get a, you know, a 512 or a 1,028, yeah. and the price is half as much. Well, according to the CPI, computers have fallen in price by a factor of 10 because you get four times as much con- computing power for half the oh. price. So, <laughs> you know, so. I, And that's really something that, that is worth talking about is the idea that anytime we get any kind of reports or numbers or just like weapons of mass dis- destructions, I guess, is something on the, on the large scale, any, any kind of – do we not have to really – 
look at the other look things. at the source i mean know the yeah. source is our motto here yeah, it is one radio motto, network is right. like you really have to know the source right indeed you do because uh, a great many institutions when they come out with uh with reports my very first reaction is you know what are they trying to hide or how they why are they trying to spin it this way mm-hmm. you know like it seems at this time of year every year uh, when the traditional festival season in India and things of that nature bring on great gold demand, there's always these stories about central bank sales or, hmm. or IMF sales of gold, you know, great amounts of gold being offered for sale. And I always wonder, where's that? Who's saying that? And, you know, when is this gold ever going to materialize? Yeah, it just where, never where, seems where is to this do. coming from, this, right. this information? Yes. Andrew Goss is our guest, and you can join us at 888-663-6386, 888-663-6386. If you'd like to email, you can do that, Patrick, at OneRadioNetwork.com, Patrick, at OneRadioNetwork.com. Uh, you know what I would like to do tonight is do a couple of things. I want to I talk about you, this whole idea of government taking care of people somewhere along the way, right? Mm-hmm. Which you uh, elucid- elucidated in one of your newsletters called The Nanny State. Oh, yeah. And also government-sponsored enterprises. And it struck me when I heard that uh, Freddie Mac, I think, lost $150 billion in their stock went up today yeah. because they said, well, you guys didn't lose as much as we thought. Right. So let's let's buy the stock. And go, uh, pro- <laughs> that is great, man. Freddie Mac is a... Government sponsored, sponsored enterprise. enterprise. Yeah. And you write about this in Uncle Sam Cooks the Books. Mm-hmm. And what I'd like to do, if you can just take the floor for about uh, a minute or so when I run downstairs and get my notes, because uh, it was quite a, a task just to get it on time. I was in traffic. Okay. Absolutely. And just start talking about government sponsored enterprises, and then uh, we'll go from there. Okay. And actually, what I want to touch on before you go, and actually while you go, I'll do this. Uh, The Commodities and Futures Trading Commission issued a report today. So I'll stick on that topic for just a minute. Their report indicated that they found no evidence of manipulation in the silver futures market. Now, for those uh, listeners who've been following along this story, uh, four of the major uh, silver players who happen to be bullion banks, they are uh, central banks for the silver trading world, have reported to have been short enormous amounts of silver. But what they do is when consumer demand or individual demand is uh, is very high, then they short the silver. They say, okay, well, we'll sell you silver that theoretically doesn't even exist. And a great many investors and traders have pointed to this as evidence of price manipulation. Uh, so the Commodities and Futures Trading Commission uh, last fall, I guess uh, maybe two falls ago, uh, issued an open letter to investors saying, no, no, there's no such thing going on and uh, nothing to worry about, nothing to see here, move on. Uh, and essentially, uh, investors didn't buy it. In fact, uh, many organizations made formal complaints. They, was, they received so many letters that evidence was clear that someone was manipulating the silver market. So they looked at the silver uh, market, and they, they cited as evidence, you're going to love this, since silver has gone up faster than gold, uh, then that that's evidence that there wasn't any manipulation. <laughs> So the mere increase in the value of silver to them is evidence that there wasn't any manipulation. A great many traders have suggested that if there were no uh, intervention or manipulation in that silver market, that silver prices would be in excess of $30 an ounce right now. And uh, goodness, the Commodities and Futures Trading Commission has determined that there's no evidence that they can find of manipulation in the market. Well, you did good. I've been just sitting here. I, I, I heard you start talking about no evidence when I was walking down the stairs to get my notes. Mm. Isn't it interesting? I, that's fascinating. Yeah, I didn't hear a... the whole story, but mm. but there is no evidence, right? No, no that no, right. No. no, they don't see. Even though even though the traders report that it is four major bullion banks, and and these are the ultimate go- government sponsors. Concert enterprise, but um, these are what we were going to talk about. Yes? Yeah, we, we can do that. I want to invite you. We just got a whole bunch of listeners just popped on, and we'd really like to get some calls tonight. You guys are awful quiet out there uh, on our, uh, we, we, our, our internet show, but we have some telephone lines. We'd love to hear from you. Anything at all that uh, is kind of, kind of poking around in your little brain over there about money, anything at all. Andrew would would uh, would uh, field the question, and here's a quick number, and we'll just we'll pick you right up. Uh, phones are working great. It is a triple eight six six three sixty three eighty six triple eight six six three sixty three eighty six. I'm here by myself. Uh, 
except for Andrew, who is in uh, New Jersey, and he can't help, and uh, the dog and the cat. So I'll either just put you on hold real quick, and you can hear the program on hold, or we'll just answer it live on the air and just tell me where you're from. Also, you can email Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. And also, very good news uh, to all of us is that beginning last evening, we started to post our shows of the night before and the night of right on the front page of One Radio Network. Wow, that is an awesome isn't, site, isn't too. That cool? Isn't mm-hmm. it work? Isn't it really yeah. coming along? It's really coming along. Really coming along yes. long, nice. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate your help with that, Andrew, by turning me on to some of your friends, and I thank you so much. And so now about 8.30 or so, if you don't get a chance to hear the live show or whatever we do, 7 to 8, by 8.30, you'll be able to just click on it and get it. And also, we'll leave on all the shows of all week long. So... So just in case you can't be here at seven, you know, I mean, it's you got kids and soccer and all that kind of stuff. Sure, oh. play it later. Play it later. Yeah, you just play it later. You can download it or listen on the computer or whatever. We're going to get to GSOs at GS E's in a second. Government-sponsored enterprises. These are very, very fascinating things, ladies and gentlemen. That if you understand, it's a puts a whole little another thing into the whole deal. But I wanted to talk a bit about. Um, this idea that if we if we better understand, for example, the Mideast War, and I'm going to ask you about the beginning of that, if, if you know what you know. I was thinking on the way driving back from Austin uh, just an hour ago that if we better understand how what's the real source of these wars, like you were telling us uh, the Arab oil embargo was not about uh, oil, really. It was about the Arabs were threatening to sell their oil for euros in the early 70s, right? Well, actually, there were no euros in the early 70s. Uh, it, was, but it was for gold? Simply when President Nixon closed the gold window, uh, they said, well, then why should we accept dollars that aren't backed by gold? Because yeah, yeah. For, for the uh, Arab countries, gold was money and nothing <clears throat> else was money. Yes. So so what I'm thinking is if we if we understand more about this geopolitics, because geopolitics plays an incredible role in investments, the economy, mm-hmm. and the, the thing that we talk about, what? The value of the dollar today, tomorrow, and beyond, right? That's right. That's I right. mean, that's what really matters here. And once we understand your message, Andrew Goss, is what is this dollar? What is this thing? Mm. What is it? How did it get here? Uh, what's it worth now? What's it going to be worth tomorrow? And what is it going to be worth six months from now or right. two years from now? Right. Or ten years from now, so I wanted to ask you this: this it seems like the Middle East thing, this this conflict, is really at the crux of, of almost everything over there, right? It's like it's all kind of centered around that. Is right. that is that a, a fair statement? Yeah, here's the way I saw it play out. Okay, and, you know, you could check out your timetable if you like. I'm just thinking 1948 when when that kind of thing hit. Oh, goodness. do you know what happened then? I would like to understand that better. Well, you know, when when 48 came, the the British, BP, British Petroleum, and to a large part their U.S. partners, those who think that, again, the Texas oil uh, fields were populated by and large by independent wildcatters, that's not true. You know, you you essentially had uh, the same powerful money that existed in the Pennsylvania oil fields, uh, you know, heading down to Texas. And these grew into the great companies known as the Seven Sisters, if you'd like to uh, check into that separate topic. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Boy, that's something we can open up some night and really talk about. So oh, can... indeed. Yeah, the Seven Sisters. So yeah. so, so, just uh, not to delay you there, but let me ask. So this whole Texas wildcatter oil thing, it was all a mirage? Yeah, it's a well? myth. Yeah, I mean, not to say that there weren't Texas wildcatters. I'm sure a great many out there will testify. But not but a lot. No. The Texas Railroad Commission <laughs> decided where the wells were drilled and who owned uh, you know, the things that they were drilled on and things like that. So having one big oil field, uh, you can't just let everyone poke a straw in it. You know, <laughs> you have to regulate who gets to take it and, and when. And, and so this idea that the oil uh, fields of Texas were just wide open to anyone who wanted to drill, hmm. that's n- definitely not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea was control, control, control. Hmm. And the top of the pyramid, you know, that was the standard oil trust, if you recall history. Uh, and the idea that, you know, the oil market was dominated by these uh, p- very powerful interests who, in fact, were uh, the banking interests of the day. Nothing has changed from that day to this. And in 1948, that partitioning of the oil uh, reserves was dependent upon the borders that were established in the Middle East. 
And unfortunately, you know, <laughs> you didn't wow. know where the, <laughs> you, wow. it was by chance, if you will. Uh, but uh, but the the value and the uh, drilling rights once they were discovered. Now that is a different ball game. Uh, you know, once we know where it is, well, then that's a different story. The same controlling interests went in and took control of the of the oil fields. Who was that? Well, you'd have to look at the names. You know, you find start with the Standard Oil Trust, of course, and you'll find the bulk of the parties. Um, you know, this was the idea that the international banking community could control the world's resources through the control of oil is a long hatched. Uh, plan. This oh, it's a, been around a while. It's been around. It's been around a while. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so the Standard Oil Trust, Andrew Goss, was the main, the main kind of boogeyman, yeah. if we call it, to yeah. to get this whole Mideast thing, again, kicking the Palestinians out. And, That's right, and, and establishing then the Israel. Well, the the remnants of what uh, see, you know, the, you got to realize the Standard Oil Trust was revealed to the American public in the writings, I believe, of uh, Ida Tarbell, uh, you know, right around World War One, and so naturally, when you turn on the lights, the cockroaches kind of scatter, you know, mm. and, and so the the remnants of what became. Uh, or what these entities became but still remained attached are quite different today than they were in that day. But if you follow the, the corporate lineage, you know, you'll find the big names, ExxonMobil, British Petroleum, you'll find Dutch Shell, Royal Dutch Shell, and this, uh, this idea of divisions based on uh, seniority and sovereignty has been long established. So, you know, the oil fields in Iraq were divided long before um, uh, the attacks occurred. Wow, and who owned them when they were divided? You know, there are better experts than okay. myself, but yeah. we we can of course spend some time on that very uh, very topic. But if we take Saddam Hussein for example, when he controlled Iraq, um, he, <laughs> I mean, he essentially decided who got oil and who didn't. So you know, these uh, oil companies were forced to deal with the intricacies mm-hmm. of his particular regime. You and, know, and do we know the people who who are really at that the the owners of these big, excuse me, these big guys we you mentioned, the British Petroleum and Exxon and all those guys, are they just the usual suspects? The usual suspects, are they? Indeed. The bankers yeah. and the, yeah, the banks the and boys. the people that own the banks, uh-huh. absolutely. The Federal Reserve, IMF, the whole, the, the same people, really. the very one and the same. And it's interesting wow. when, we, when wow. we talk about dynasties, you know, descendants of the Morgan clan and defend, descendants of the Warburg clan and so on, sure, and the Rothschilds and mm-hmm. things. You know, it's like when you control an industry. There is a tendency to leave it to your heirs, and these dynasties were really family-controlled enterprises, uh, Rothschilds in particular, uh, for early banking history, intermarried amongst themselves, you know, cousins and and things of that nature. So they really keep it in the family. They kept the wealth in the family, and then, you know, a couple of families would merge, and then all the daughters on one side would marry all the sons on the other, and, you know, soon you would have uh, blanks in the names, but... You you look through the owners of the central bank. The, again, the primary owners are the um, the banks in the district that print the money. Yeah, that control the the the, the activities wow. of that Federal Reserve Bank. It just goes so deep and interesting and entwined. It's just fascinating. Well, that's why when a guy like Ron Paul stands up and suggests mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. gold standard, that everyone who's in on it, if you will. Mm realizes that there's no way that, that that we can allow this to happen. It's impossible. You can't allow that to happen. That would devastate their entire gig. Mm-hmm. You know, everything sure. about what they're doing would be out the window. And so you why could, would they let that happen? Indeed, indeed. So and I and I've seen some very interesting uh words and uh, written both written and spoken on the idea that uh that the media suppressed the message that Ron Paul was delivering based on this very single idea. Yes, I saw some uh, a very interesting video, which I, I sent to you, didn't I? I do believe. Yes, and check this out, uh, folks. McCain has, Mr. McCain has 19,000 videos on Google. Pretty good. And Ms. Clinton has... 70,000 videos on Google. Wow. Mr. Obama has 80,000 videos, 80,000 mm. videos on Google. That's six and, times as many as McCain. Yeah, and Ron Paul has 117,000 videos on Google. Mm. And his book is a bestseller, a million book, a million dollar, or a million something already. Yeah. So, you know, they, so maybe this whole Ron Paul, excuse me, maybe this whole Ron Paul thing is a whole lot 
bigger, or not necessarily Ron Paul, but this idea of truth and the Constitution and limited government and not uh, and meddling rights. in foreign basic rights, not meddling, is a lot bigger than than we 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 know. You know, one what we have to do one show I think is start with the you know Bill of Rights right. and at the same time read the preamble to the Constitution and. Excuse me, preamble to the Declaration Boy, of Independence. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. You read that. Man. Yeah, because that one really outlines what our forefathers were so angry about and what they fought for. This is what we're fighting for. You know, they lay it out, it's mm-hmm. chapter and verse. Very clearly. And it pretty much coincides with the situation today. We are. Oh, man. What do we do, as Judge <laughs> Napolitano called it, when our own government just ignores the law? The. the we did a thing on the FDA last night on our how to be free in an unfree world, which you do, we do every Tuesday night. And that's on our website right now if you'd like to hear it. All of our shows are right on the front page, uh, the shows of the week, the 7 o'clock show, how to be free in an unfree world. And some, some friends of mine were having some problems with the FDA who are in the uh, natural food business, Andrew. Sure. You know, and, and, and they're getting pretty feisty. I bet they are. Uh, three guys showed up at one gentleman's office, three men. Yes. Unannounced and With stayed suits. three days. Mm-hmm. And really just, and, and, I, and I asked our two experts, uh, Desi Andrews and Jack Cohn, uh, constitutional, not experts, but authorities. They've studied it for a long time. A week ago, look into this FDA thing. And I'm not going to go through it because it's all on the show that you can listen to right now on OneRadioNetwork.com front page. But the bottom line is, is that they have absolutely... No authority. No authority. <laughs> I mean, they are so far. They're worse than the IRS. They are yeah. so far mm. outside of the, any kind of possible authority. Right. It's beyond comprehension how they get away with what they get away with. They get away with it de facto because people allow them because it's kind of Gestapo tactics. I yeah, hate to use that it's word. Under, it's under color of law. Under color of law. That's right. What does that mean exactly? Well, it means like, okay, we, we have the badge, we have the car, we have the suit. We right. have, you know, some authority, right. and now we're going to pretend we have authority that right. we don't really have. And so, you know, towards the end of the interview, I said to Jack and Dad, well, what, what happens if you said they come by? And you, she says, you definitely have to get them to show you the authority. And, and if, they, if you push them, show them the bill. And if it's not a bill, there's no law, right? There's not a code. It's not a statute. Indeed not. In it's fact, it's not, not a bill. It's not a law. You should, if you're hassled, if yeah. you're hassled too badly by the FDA, you should immediately call the county sheriff. Yes, absolutely. I want to see. Show me the authority that yeah. you can do what you do. And hey, they this guy's it. in here practicing your trade. You know, he's That's in here right. conducting levy and distraint, and you know, issuing pseudo warrants. Uh, he's operating under color of law. So hey. Well, what are you going to do about it? And I kind of got this really interesting uh, feeling in my bones, Andrew Goss and, and, mm. and listeners, that at the end of the day, this is going to be the thing that's going to really protect us, the, is yeah. knowing who we are, right. free men on the soil, yeah. and not allowing people to do anything to us because we're not fearful, uh-huh. because we're on solid ground and they're not. Uh-huh. Well, but here's the item. You know, I, know, item. I, I, you know, know. I know, I know. Carol Quigley. It's wrote, feisty. It's feisty. Yeah. Carol Quigley wrote a great book, right? Tragedy and Hope. Mm-hmm. Anyone, you know, I recommend it's big. Get it. You, so you can really get the full lay of the land. It's worth it's reading. Worth this enormous, think War and Peace you know, it's that big. But along about the middle, he talks about this passage, uh, and I've highlighted it in my book. It's, I think it's page 500 and change, 17, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, where the velvet glove is removed from the iron fist. Yes. That p- period, <clears throat> Quigley said, would be the, the uh, defining point for most Americans. Because then, you know, for right now, we could talk about this and it seems like, well, it doesn't touch me. You know, average guy hasn't had the FDA hang out in their office for three days. Mm-hmm. So it hasn't touched him yet. Yeah. And until the iron, glove, uh, the iron fist is revealed from the velvet glove, then he gets to make a decision, one side or the other. Which way, what you're going to do? Which side are you going to be on? And and it's only a defining moment like that, which I think will crystallize the, the power of the American electorate. And this is why it's so important for them to hide the popularity of someone like Ron Paul, uh, which, you know, is revealed in every other venue. You can see it in his book sales. You can see it in his online videos. You can see it in his Google search requests. But on TV, he's a maverick. He's a wild. Oh, he's, yeah, yeah. You know, he's out to lunch. And, and this reality translates into a dismissal of his ideals, which is 
The a gold standard. Yeah, yeah the, a gold, Constitution. the Constitution is so specific. Well, no state shall make anything but it, gold. You know, state. for me, folks, it would almost be worth waiting in line for two hours and getting on rush and, and just saying to him, Mr. Limbaugh, uh, uh, Ron Paul was the only true conservative. You keep whining about being a conservative three hours every day here. Why didn't, why didn't you ever talk about him? Now, it would just be worth saying, you know, not that he's going to ever, you know, he'll just hang up on you and call you a kook, but... I'd like to be able to say that, though. Be yeah. Worth, you know. Well, you'd like to have America hear it anyway. And this yes, is, this is know. the reality. If Americans could just hear the message, then I think a great many would react. Those that are taking the time to learn these various things, like learn about a GSE. What the heck is it? Who even knows what a GSE is? Yeah, and we're going to do that in just a second after we're going to finish this one thought. Uh, if you'd like to join us, folks, come on in. Triple eight. 663 Or if you're shy, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. The computer is right in front of me. Let's put it to rest. How these things were. Now, <laughs> this, this, this thing about the Mideast, then, when it did happen, do you understand, do you have knowledge of Exactly the, the how it seven, happened. These 700,000 Palestinians that were just kicked out of their homeland, exactly. what, who did they feel who do, and who do they think today was behind all that? Do you well, know? Well, I they mean, blame it on any one of the Jewish persuasions. Ah. When in reality, it was a handful of wealthy Jewish people. Um, that don't even view their own, you know, just because I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, doesn't mean we're friends, right? Right. So it's the same, very same thing in all religions. And even within religions, there are those who think they are, you know, better than others. And, and this is what we had. The idea of sovereignty over even one square foot of land where you can place yourself and say, I am here above all, beyond reproach, cannot be touched by anyone on the planet, that's the ultimate dream of everyone. Mm-hmm. And that was really the idea behind uh, an Israel, a homeland, if you will, a place where you could plant this flag and say, this is ours. Uh, this man. is ours. And the people behind it just happened to be of the Jewish faith, and they happened to be some of the most prominent financiers on the globe. And this is how, this is the only way that you could get 700,000 or so people tossed off of their homeland, their their houses and things, and, and given, give it over to someone else. Plus, remember, we had just come off of World War II, where the sympathy for the plight of the, of the Holocaust victims was great. Uh, mm. The press was oh, inundated I with see. stories of, you know, these poor folks and the tragedies that they endured. In fact, some of the, the stories of the ships with, you know, refugees just being unable to dock anywhere, nowhere to land and nowhere to go and, you know, stuck at sea. These are these were touching stories. And so popular opinion for the rest of the world. I mean, if you weren't one of the 700,000, what are you going to say? So so if I understand, then the. The Israelis, uh, the the elite Israelis, were were part and parcel of this takeover. Well, they weren't the elite Israelis yet. But they they are now. They are now. Yeah. yeah. So then, that's the deep rooted hatred for, that goes on. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I I mean, I could see how that would be intergenerational. Like sure. you wouldn't just, you, you know, it's what they their grandfathers did to my grandfather. Yeah, that, that's what I was just going to say. <laughs> I mean, if you would talk to the Israeli people, they probably will give you stories that maybe said that maybe this land hey, for uh, them uh, five hundred years homeland. ago yeah, was it? was theirs, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And for them, they've been there two, three generations, and so they remember, you uh-huh. know, their fathers and grandfathers being on this land. So they don't know of the previous. I see. So around. you really can't, you wouldn't want to paint the Israelis as the bad guys here. It's a, you know what the parallel with it's is? It's a Hatfield and McCoy's it's, kind of Well, thing, no, right? it's the American no. Indians, you know, no. uh, the no. American Indians, right? All right. The the deal, in fact, if you, I have a, an article entitled The Trail of Tears on my website. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly the history of the American Indian is very similar, right? So we came, we were here, sure, we and you get off your land, and now so, you know, generations later, they come back and say, hey... You've got a skyscraper on an island that used to belong to me. Right. And so this is really, the if we had to draw a similarity, this would be the one. Although it's it's closer in generationally, uh, a great many Americans sympathize with the plight of the Native American. And the same thing is uh, true of the Native Palestinians. But then it's also possible that somewhere along the line, maybe the Native Americans took it from somebody else. 
Well, indeed. I mean, I don't think it did. Indeed. I don't know if it did happen either. Indeed. And so this idea that, you know, boundaries for nations are going to be decided on the basis of international law is one of the precepts of world domination or world control. You know, there has to be a body that says, okay, guys, stop fighting. Here's the 38th parallel. That's where the division is between your countries. So and that's dangerous, you're saying? I think that is uh, dangerous. You know, historically, that's been decided by treaty. And uh, now, unfortunately, it's being forced uh, through the will of world bodies, and that's exactly what happened. In what the do you mean of, by treaty? In other words, people fight and then they agree. Yeah, and then they to agree. Split it up, right? Yeah, they say, okay, like you guys get this and we'll take that. Mm-hmm. And they agree. Mm-hmm. They agree, mm-hmm. or or one side, you know, whips the other. That's <laughs> been that's been the tradition. That's uh, you know, that's how gotcha. land disputes have been settled forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hope that people become more civilized, but I'm not going to try to foist my civilized values on someone else if they, <laughs> you know, if they want to fight. Hey, right. go fight. I'm not going to. So- so I, I, I would theorize, and as your host who knows nothing but likes to theorize sometimes, mm. when it comes to money, comes to uh, buying things of real value, when it gets back to, to your, your core message, you know, yeah, yeah. What, is that if, if all this is going on, uh, quid pro quo because of this whole Arab-Israeli thing, and now uh, George Bush... Who, uh, with all due respect, really believes that Jesus is going to come, right? And he's he's really, you know, Jesus is his co-pilot in this deal, right? I mean, right, he right. believes that. Mm-hmm. And then Ahmadinejad, I, I heard a thing. His biographer said that he believes that the uh, descendant of Muhammad, Ahmadi, is soon to come on, and he's really kind of listening to him. Mm. I mean, this is what's going on, right? Let's These not two, call it a holy war. Oh, holy kamoli. Oh, no. So, so my point is, is that the chances, and I. You know, I don't like to be negative. This thing getting any better anytime soon is very, very slim. So uh, the chances of the United States continuing to borrow new money to to stay involved in all this, which they don't seem to have any kind of indication they're ever going to get out, is going to be is very big. Well, it's, yeah, because it's, you, are you following my train of thought here? Indeed, I do. And if you'll follow the rise in the price of oil, then you'll understand why it has. It's because oil has to be purchased in dollars, and dollars are necessary to prosecute war. So if you're at war and you and you want to fund your war, the price of oil has to rise. So for every barrel that comes out of the ground now, instead of the Federal Reserve creating fifty dollars or sixty dollars, now they're creating a hundred and twenty-six dollars. So the the idea that oil is driving the war, not only is it driving it, in fact, it's paying for it. Okay, so let's let's see if I can understand. So it's driving it because a lot of people want it, yeah, but it's also paying for it because the people who own the oil, or who no, who own the it is the franchise to make dollars, right? They get twice as many dollars. Or they get to make twice as many dollars. Create, create. They get to create twice as many dollars because it's so they love this high oil price. Oh, indeed they do. And in fact, it's necessary in order to skim a larger portion in order to pay for the war. Boy, that's so interesting. How you just painted that little spooky scenario, <laughs> man. That'll make you want to have a glass of milk and go to bed real quick. Huh? Mm-hmm. All right, it is at thirty-four minutes after the hour. My name is Patrick Timpone. We're with Andrew Goss. We do it Wednesdays, seven to eight p.m. You can listen to this show and all of our week shows uh, tonight. And this will be on the website probably around 8.30, and then all the week shows will be on for a week. And we will launch our subscription of our website with over 100 podcast interviews. Uh, I think we we have a 10-day countdown starting. <laughs> so good, we're going to get there. We have a 10-day countdown. And if you'd like to join us, 888-663-6386. 888-663-6386. And also don't forget about the Saturday special edition the Saturday special edition of the Real World of Money, 3 to 5 p.m. Saturdays before our KLBJ show, 3 to 5 p.m. Saturdays, Central Time, on OneRadioNetwork.com. Let's, uh, I want to talk a bit, and i got a lot of other stuff too, but I want to talk about, about these GSEs because these guys and that you talk about in your book, the uh, Uncle Sam Cook's books are very fascinating little entities. And this is what the real engine, other than the Federal Reserve, right? How, and uh, talk a little bit about how these things are formed, who runs them, and uh, why they're kind of uh, interesting to talk about when it comes to the value of our dollars. Yeah. The, it, well, it's the trend to privatize. So it's any function that government might involve itself in that turns out to accidentally be profitable, uh, they quickly privatize. 
And they some pro- examples would be uh, issuing mortgages, mm-hmm. issuing money, <laughs> creating, generating electricity. Well, oh, yeah. But you know, infrastructure. So they privatize it. Oh yeah, uh-huh. especially if it might accidentally make money. Now they don't allow someone like you to to do it. Form your own corporation. They form a government-sponsored enterprise, which is just a corporation, and appoint someone that they know to run it. Yeah, that's, pretty much. Okay, we're done. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's it. Oh, wait a minute. I, I need to understand this, more than that. This is this is the ultimate secret control corporations because yeah. they they get these special charters. Okay, so their charters grant them all kinds of benefits and powers. Typically, they're exempt from taxation. Exempt from taxation. Exempt from taxation. So, like, you know, while the rest of us have How to How do pay, they wangle the head for God's Well, they just get it written into their special charter. After all, we take Fannie Mae as, an, as a classic example. <laughs> Fannie Mae has the power to issue money for people to borrow and buy houses. That's their task. Right. So this was one of the first uh, GSEs in, in our modern history, uh, 1968. This place was privatized. It was converted into a, obviously before, in 1938, it was a government agency, no question about it. Right. It was created when Congress gave it its charter that made it exempt from taxes and all these things. It was part of, it was government. It was part of government. It was like, okay, this bank is part of government, and it issues bonds so that America's homeowners can buy houses without having to turn to these banks. Yes. That was it. And it worked like, boy, did it work. Oh, you know, for many Americans in the 30s and 40s, the idea of a 30-year mortgage, that was the only way they could get it was through Fannie Mae. And by 1968 now, they they privatized this thing and said, okay, hey, this works great. Not only is it... Oh, it was a government thing before that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not only is there tons of revenue coming in here, but boy, we could spin that off and keep the money. And so that's what they did. They spun off Fannie Mae and created a government-sponsored enterprise, a private corporation... That you know would issue ostensibly shares and bonds, but every bond that Fannie Mae issues is counted as though it's it's a treasury bond, and so you know agency bonds they've come to be known as are used to, within the within the financing community as though they were treasury debt. So in addition to all of the debt that the treasury issues. There's a mountain of debt that is issued by these government-sponsored enterprises that has the, uh, uh, you know, the implied backing. implied yes, backing. The implied backing. It's not in writing. Well, of course not. Yeah, yeah. but it's implied. It's implied that, and everybody believes that Fannie Mae is part of the uh, federal government, United States government, right? That's right. The government of the United States. That's you know? right. So they, they, these things are more valuable because um, everyone believes. That if they ever go belly up, that they're just going to print the dollars from the Fed and bail them out. Absolutely, as uh-huh. they have in the past. Oh, they have. And and to be fair, uh, you know, they the, the people in Fannie Mae are appointed. You know, so they're not they're they're appointed. It's an appointed position. It's what's in the president's plum book. You know, he has the ability. The big to, investors, the big donate. Yeah, or the guys that you really owe something to. You you really owe them a favor. Mm -hmm. Because they're big jobs, big money, airplanes, uh, limos. Exempt uh, from from public scrutiny, effectively, because they don't have to go back to Congress and say, hey, we need, you know, $20 to buy a stapler, like every other government agency. So as a general rule, when a government agency spends money and doesn't make money— When it provides a service and spends money, they leave that in the mm-hmm. treasury for the taxpayers mm-hmm. to pay. Yeah, they if, can fly. To, they can fly to Fiji to buy it as stapler and write the whole thing off. That's right. But when it's a profitable enterprise, then it's spun off into a, a separate organization, and its books are kept separate and distinct from those of Congress. So when Congress does its budget appropriations, they don't pay. So the only thing the people own is all the non-profitable stuff. That's right. The thing that <laughs> we we get 13 cents of services for every dollar, right? right or something exactly. like that. Yeah, we so pay that's for what everything. we own. Yes. Every time they get something that makes money, right. they spin it off uh, to a GSE yes. and their friends run it and they just they just just Siphon off the money. Siphon off the money. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, in the case of parkways, turnpikes, toll roads, mm-hmm. Tennessee Valley Authority, mm-hmm. you know, any uh, major water authority, uh, mm. you know, they form power Everything. districts. They form improvement districts. They form 
you know, any supra-governmental constituency. And we, the people, don't own any of that. Nope. Nope. And we think we do. Right. We, uh, the, the tendency is, you know, when we jump on a toll road and we throw our quarter into that little thing, we assume that they're going to take that quarter and fix the road. Yeah. That's what Americans assume. Yeah. Or they're going to pay for the road somehow with that quarter. That could not be further from the truth. It's just not going to happen. It's never, it never happens. That money never pays for the roads. All that money ever pays for are bonds. And you know what? The bonds are issued by bond uh, uh, agencies. If you look at the list of both bond councils and the underwriters, and what do you know? It's the owners of the Federal Reserve Banks. So it's like a My. vicious circle that not only do they get us coming in, but they get us going out. They, they create the money. Yes. And dilute our dollar. Yes. And then they use that money to buy our stuff. Yes. And then they make money from that. And then they privatize. And then they charge us to use our stuff. That's right. Exactly. And they charge us to create the money to loan to us. They do what? They charge us oh, yeah. in order to create the money to loan to us. Yeah. So it wouldn't be it would be bad enough if they paid the eighteen cents that it costs to print, you know, a thousand dollars. But they charge us the eighteen cents wow. in addition to the money wow. that they make. Now folks, is this is this does this get you motivated at all to kinda of want to go out someday and get about a million of us and, and uh straighten it and out demonstrate or well, you know, we did it in 68. I was around. Well, I was in the service, but my friends and I was rooting for them. And, man, we, 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 we that our generation, our generation uh, was one of the major driving forces to get out of Vietnam. Indeed. That, Boy, I, you and, know, if we'd have had the Internet in the 60s. Oh, oh man. Oh, you know, it would have been all look over. Out. It would have been all over with the Internet. Indeed. Well, but I, it, those who were alive then can remember hmm. uh, the way that the media portrayed uh, you know, what was going on in Chicago. You mean you will, I, you know, I have friends of mine who had no, no two front teeth because of that. Yeah, uh, yeah. uh, a policeman. And the, you know, the characterization was certainly different. It oh was yeah. Way. We, we were the, uh, cra- the crazy, crazy nuts. That's tippies right. And, uh, mm-hmm. well, there's, there's talk that something feisty may go on in some of the conventions and who knows it's a long way. And maybe I, I, I'm not advocating any kind of violence or anything. I think there's an actual group that has uh, that has founded it. Uh, it's called Recreate 68. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I do believe. Well, let's uh, do a piece. I don't have, I don't want anybody. Getting I'm not advocating here. this uh, entity at all. But no. I'm just saying that right. outside of uh, I believe it's Denver. It's a Colorado organization that's urging this type of civil disobedience. Mm. You know, come out and protest against uh, primarily the war. I believe. I guess the big question is if we could get enough in the media to start something like. A big uh, demonstration, some July Fourth. It's too late to do it this year because it's mm. two months away. But or some day and have like ten million, ten million people in in Washington, or or maybe a million people in ten different cities or something. And then they would go ho ho hum and go home. Yeah, yeah well, well, but would we would we get the probably wouldn't get the immediate coverage. Nobody would know about nope, it. Would that's they? exactly right. I mean, and and if you would get it, it would be swung so widely the other way that the rest of the, you know, 270 million people that didn't show up would view it as, oh, you know, there's a bunch of mm-hmm. pick your euphemism and mm-hmm. then uh, that would be the end of it. Mm. See, it's almost as if, and, I, you know, I've said this before, I don't want to sound cynical, but you better bet on these guys, the ones that are in control, staying in control. Because you know they have uh, the keys to all the kingdoms, and so if you're not, if you're structuring your affairs so as to hope that perhaps the people are going to rise up, they're going to you know take over government, they're going to cut this uh, waste, they're going to reduce these agencies, and then cut taxes and let you keep more of your money. Forget it. It's just you don't. It's think it's not going to happen. Yeah. No. But if we know. What yeah. they are going to do, because then you can plan for then it. you can plan for it, and yeah. you can actually profit from it. Well, that's one of the things. Right? You know, that at the beginning, there's a little circular that runs around. It's known as the hazard circular. And when they were uh, establishing this system in the United States, the phrase was something like, "Those who understand the system will be so enamored by its profits that they will not complain." And the great mass of the markets, being unable to understand the mechanisms, will bear it without complaint. 
And that was like a hundred years hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. Boy, if they didn't hit it right on the head, those that understand the system are making tons of money, so they're not saying anything. Mm-hmm. And those that don't, well, then they're you know bearing their bearing it without complaint. Who are we ba- blaming now? The oil companies, those greedy oil companies. Uh, the you know the Middle East nations, those greedy Middle East nations. No. I would argue that oil has not risen a bit relative to gold. It's just just the falling dollar. Yeah. Huh. So uh, if we uh, feel like we need to earn more Federal Reserve notes because we all can live longer because sure. they listen to the Patrick Timpone show, mm. and we know that the Federal Reserve notes are going to take twice as many, probably in 10 years or Absolutely. five years. Right. So we want, we're going to need to make more of them, so it's not a bad thing to make more money. Right. That's, it's, it's necessary. But deploying that But money. we can do it, but we can, we can do it righteously without feeling badly about it, can't we? We don't have to screw anybody in the process. Oh, no, not at all. You just don't be a shareholder. Yeah, just don't own dollars. Yeah, don't be a shareholder. That's all. Simple enough. Well, did you hear about the fellow that purchased a bottle of 1787 Chateau Lafitte Lafitte wine uh, owned by Thomas Jefferson Mm -hmm. for $150,000? Sure. It was a good buy, too. Well, I'm going to have to tell you, as Paul Harvey says... The rest, the rest of the, of the story. story turned they out to be fu- fake. It turned out to be a fake. <laughs> Could you get a no? Yeah. Well, you don't have uh, you don't have NGC in the wine. Yeah, you world. don't have somebody. But I, I think it does lead uh, lend some credence to to your your message is the idea that people are willing mm-hmm. to pay money and big money for things that are perceived to have be a limited supply, and and everybody wants it because there's not very many of them. And especially an item that has historical significance. Oh, yes. I mean, now, I'm, I'm here to report to you today that the cashless society, never mind it's coming, it's all over us. Yeah, it's all over us. It's all over us. So you don't realize 95% of everything we call money is merely an electronic representation of money. 95%. Only 5% is in printed coin or cash only five percent of the total out of the out of the uh, what, 14 trillion in that's circulation right. that's right <laughs> there's only five percent of that is like what we call and it's not even really money but what we call money right and of that five percent exactly uh, only one percent <laughs> one of the five percent uh is worth anything is, is gold or silver coin you yeah. know it's actual coin hmm. so to me that's the only real money there's nothing else that's money. And as we go forward in history, as you know, generations go by, and the idea that, hey, look at this. This is an, you know, they used to pass this between themselves <laughs> when they wanted to buy things. Well, you know, Isn't that great? They, they were that, funny, those guys. Isn't that quaint? This big old hunky, yeah. heavy thing. And here, you know, we have one. We'll show it to the kids or the grandkids. And so this is definitely qualifies as something that is of, you know, gonna of of diminishing value at the moment in terms of America's lives, and nostalgia will will bring back money, hard money, paper money, as uh, the same mm. way we view you know antique mm. uh, comic books and things of that nature. Let me just sway from the subject for a second. I want to cover a couple of things before we get out of here in twelve minutes. Uh, once again, eight 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 six six three sixty three eighty six. My computer doesn't lie. I know you're out there, so uh, if you don't want to call, that's fine. But we'd love to hear from you. Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. It's always more fun to get calls, but not necessary because we're having a, a great time. The, can we liken the same thing of ballots, paper ballots, mm-hmm. electronic votes? Oh, yes. Is it the same exactly kind the of same. challenge that oh, we're yeah. dealing with? Exactly the same kind wow. of challenge. You know, I wouldn't accept an electronic ballot if, if I had the choice. Reality is that paper, in this case, or the physical item, is the only true item. That's the only true vote. There's no other true vote. And so without that, how on earth are we ever going to know? It's the very same thing with money. If all of it is electronic, then how are you going to really know the value? You cannot put a value on electronic money. I've not done the research, but there's a lot of people that are very concerned about this, the Mm. Diebold thing. And evidently somebody who was involved with this in, oh, I'm going to get this wrong, but either Central America or or South America, only yesterday was Killed in a plane crash. Oh, and, yeah. Do you, do you, have you heard about it? No. So, oh, man. You know, the, the, some the, people we can't get on planes. The, yeah, the, but, the, plane yeah. St- the plane thing. Are you concerned about this? But I well, guess it doesn't matter who it's wins the ultimate, anyway. Yeah, it is the ultimate. But it is the ultimate 
um, in, in showmanship when you can absolutely let people pretend to make a choice. You know, mm. here you go, come on and choose. So I don't. This does not uh, seem beyond reality to me. This seems as exactly what I would do because, especially with the few close calls, you know, when people accidentally get elected and things like that, that's uh, very dangerous. <laughs> when they accidentally get elected. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you get the wrong guy in there, and he might upset the apple cart and say, hey, wait a minute, that guy doesn't have any clothes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've had a few of these maverick congressmen and senators and things like that. So ultimately, we could, I mean, these folks control, you know, five, everybody's heard by now, five companies control all the media. You've, you've heard it. Yeah. You should have heard it by oh, now. Yeah. So if you control the media and then you can control the votes, why, what else is there to control? You already control the money. So who's going to upset your apple cart now? Last month, 68% of the increase in mortgages over one year ago. In default. In default. Yeah. It's huge. Sure. Huge. And I I heard today that there's like New York Post reported over 100 people in the Hamptons are in trouble. Yeah. So it's it's not just those poor folk, you know. Oh, indeed not. Or it's me. It's folks who, you know, try to live beyond their means in every instance. Mm-hmm. And so this reality that, that uh, speculators uh, buy multiple, multiple, multiple pieces of real estate without ever having a plan to manage or <laughs> deal with it, but rather I'm just going to buy it, hold it a few weeks, and then flip it. And that's the type of madness that's been going on for, you know, three years. Very same thing that uh, existed during the SNL crisis. No question they're going to suck up all those bad mortgages. They're going to put all that inventory back on the market. They're going to uh, reinvigorate the real estate market, and you'll see people buying houses again. No question. And the money supply is being inflated today at a rate in that 20% range, which is still... Yeah, they're flinging... What are they flinging money out of helicopters now, right? (laughs) You have $600 checks uh, arriving in people's mailboxes. They're out there spending that money. As that money makes its way into the checking accounts of America, then it allows the banks to now lend again. And Bank of America right now, very aggressive, loaning money. Can you believe this? They are. They're very aggressive right now, loaning money, unsecured money to individuals. Yeah, if you need money... And you have decent credit. Call Bank of America. I'm sure they'll what loan is that, you What money. is that all about? Well, it's all about getting money into the hands of the consumer. And you get money into the hands of the consumer, they'll spend it. If they spend it, then uh, that stimulates the economy. Oh, I see. So it's just to get more money out there. Just Absolutely to right. Keep, keep it moving. Yeah. So, And when you have a credit facility available to these guys where essentially they say, okay, go out there, create all these debts. Every time you get a you know a twenty fifty hundred thousand dollar debt, put it in the pile over here. When mm-hmm. the pile gets to twenty million, bring it to us, and we'll give you another twenty million. Mm-hmm. Senator, how long would you do that? Oh yeah, they'd <laughs> <laughs> have to bring my my lunch to me in a you know in a in a bag. That's, right. That's all I would do. That's right. Senator Obama mentioned the D word yesterday. I, I heard on the radio, mm. depression. And he's wearing and, a flag now, and, and and he was likening this to almost like the depression. Sure. And what we'll do on, if you like to, let's do it on on Saturday, mm. the Saturday special edition. We're going to go into the depression like it's never gone into before. Okay, and we'll we'll pick it apart brick by brick of how it happened. Who, who was involved and who benefited and who lost and all of that, okay? That's going to be a great show. Yeah, it's going to be a great show. So you need to look, because Andy knows, he knows this stuff, man. That's a fascinating one there. And you just keep studying this stuff, don't you? Or you've been... You've... I don't stop. No, indeed, no. no I, uh, I love it. There's something to learn every day because, although there are no new tricks, uh, certainly the, they're trying new things every day. So yeah. you got to keep up with it. Now, the, the Federal Reserve oftentimes just lends banks money overnight they'll say you know here's your million bucks or 10 million dollars uh, yeah they, i love night. this they'll loan overnight money for 90 days yeah that's what i heard <laughs> I, I read that they, they've extended it over the overnight thing to 90 days yeah <laughs> we're loaning that's you not overnight. overnight yeah that's not overnight we'll loan you overnight money but you can hold on to it for 90 days so they're just interested in getting money out there that's it i mean so just create the money get it out there right. and it just keeps the musical chairs uh musicing it does keeps the music going, keeps and the music and, and going. many and many people have have likened this, and prominent economists who understand how it works. The Fed right now is in pushing on a string. You know, you can't push it; you have to pull it. So you need the demand to come from the market. 
So you oh, can't, you just can't dump it out of airplanes, literally. Exactly. Because somebody will get wise. Somebody will go, wait a minute. What are you guys doing? <laughs> uh, so <laughs> you need the demand. Where'd that money come from? Yeah. Oh, you need the demand. And so they, they would rather pull it through the market, through market demand, than push it you know, or dump it uh, yeah. out of a window. And the, and I agree, it's a much better way to get money into circulation. Well, and and it's not it's it's, it's even though it's it's an illusion, it still helps people because then people go to the dry cleaners or they go to the grocery store, or right. They buy stuff, and, right? You know, and, and everybody's happier. For, but is the music gonna stop? No. There Are you people? Go. No, I don't. I don't see the music stopping. And the music, of course, is the creation of more dollars and. No matter what you hear, uh, you've contended since the day I met you that the music is not going to stop. Well, if the, I, I see that there's no profit in making it stop. <laughs> if somebody can show me how to make money by stopping the music, then I might stop. I might stop saying that. But right. for the present, I cannot find the profit in it, and so it won't happen. Hmm. It's not going to happen by accident. I promise you that. I guess somebody could argue that there's just a truckload of very, very evil people that would just like to let the whole world go into smolders just because so they could go, <laughs> look what we did. But they've had plenty of opportunities. I'm wondering why they haven't taken them. Right. You know, it's I mean, like, okay, how many more chances are you going to give these evil people to take over the world? They've, uh, I argue they've already taken it over. You don't steal what's already yours. Mm-hmm. So there, there's in this current kind of thing that's been going on, and it seems like it's been going on for a long time. And when's when's this whole subprime? When did it start? When did all this kind of real bad economic news start? Can you remember? Because I I've just lost track. Yeah, when was uh, it? it started in August of 2007, really. Okay. Um, when we had, um, well, no, you'd have to really put it squarely at the feet of, hey, I'm I'm not helicopter Ben Bernanke. When he came into office, Alan Greenspan was already taking initiative, if you will, by rising, raising interest rates to try to slow down the inflation train. And in reality, that was against what his job was, which he had fueled the the monetary system up to that point. So Bernanke, instead of immediately reversing course and going back to the easy money system, first allowed these higher interest rates to click, 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 ratchet up to what was it, 5%, 7% almost. Uh-huh. That right there is what precipitated the crisis because now we had all these um, mortgage resets. Now you've made the cost of money more expensive. When money is more expensive, houses are more expensive. And so there went your buyers. Once the buyers are gone, then it's a spiral after that. Uh, and so the foreclosures started now on the resets as people's mortgages are coming due one year later. Now the new rate is at based on 5% instead of 2 from, you know, mm. two years before. And that really set us up for an enormous crisis. One thing is for certain, if they hadn't taken rates down so quickly, we had a, a tremendous amount of resets now this month and last month. Uh, and then now the wave kind of backs off a little bit in the out months, June, July, August, and so on. It, it, the percentage gets smaller. But the biggest percentage of mortgage recastings is th- this month and last month, April and May hmm. of this year. So th- this crisis that we're in, uh, is it just going to continue no. until it gets really no. bad, boring, no, no. bad crisis? No. 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 No, indeed. Uh, you know, I, Jamie Dimon, who's the head of Goldman Sachs, I believe, uh, J.P. Morgan. Yeah, I get those two confused. <laughs> They're the same guys. Um <laughs> Uh, they, he recently said he thought 75% of the crisis was behind us. And I have to concur with that in terms of subprime problem because the bulk of these resets have now you know, re- been reset. And so the traditional buyer who I have a 30-year mortgage, I have a home, I've been in it for 16 years, I'm not burning my house down. Hmm. I'm going to keep living in it and making the mortgage payments like I said I was going to. And people who don't need to sell aren't going to sell. So but, what kind of other shoes can drop here? Sorry to cut you up, but I'm running short of time. What kind of other shoes can drop here in the next six months? Yeah, it's the commercial paper market we got to really worry about. Commercial paper. Commercial paper market is scary, scary. Uh, there's some defaults waiting out there that have nothing to do with home mortgages that you know are going to really blind the American. Is that going to affect the value of the dollar and thus commodities? And Indeed, stuff? because as they move to bail out that system, uh, you're going to see uh, more money come into circulation. 
the two hundred dollar barrel oil prediction by Goldman Sachs mm-hmm. correlates to about two thousand dollar gold. So if we see that super spike, the dollar will have to fall at least fifty percent from its per current point. So you're talking a dollar index of something in the forty to fifty one range, and right now it's in the low seventies. Yeah, and this two hundred dollar oil or two thousand dollar gold, if you had to uh, put your pointer on a map in the future, what would be your best guess? Uh, I agree with uh, Goldman Sachs. Six to 18 months, I think, is my time frame. Uh, they said six to 24. Six? As soon as six months? As soon as have, six months. and we're, We could we're have $200 oil? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, remember where we are right now, right? We're at a buck and a quarter. And it's simply because that many more dollars are going to be created. You keep putting money into circulation, the price of oil will keep rising. It's the one thing that we all have in common. Because they just want more of those dollars for that oil. If you guys are going to print dollars, give us more dollars, right? It's a good way to get dollars in circulation. Okay, that's going to be one thing high on our agenda is the depression. How it started, who started it, why they started it, who benefited, and who took it on the chin. On our special Saturday edition of the Real World of Money, Saturday, 3 p.m. Central, right here on One Radio Network. Andrew, Andrew, it's always a pleasure, sir. Ah, Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Stay right there. I want to talk to you in a second. Okay. Okay, if you enjoyed this show, tell your friends. It will be on the front page of One Radio Network in about a half an hour. And then all of our nightly shows will be on there for about a week or so. And stick around because we have much more to come in hundreds of podcasts, interviews. And tomorrow night, we have a very fascinating lady who's been doing herbalism and some wonderful work with healing. Uh, And she happens tomorrow at 7 p.m. right here on One Radio Network. Thanks for joining us. See you tomorrow night. Know the Source on One Radio Network.